suddenly from a very sound sleep you are startled nothing happened it just seems as if your eyes flew open as you lay in bed you are unable to go back to sleep and so you get up and you stir around a little bit and decide to turn the television on and as you do so you discover that the world is frightening it's become unglued the euro the money of Europe has collapsed it's not worth the paper that is written on and you wonder what happened as you turn to the cable news channels the story is in full-blown discussion the pundits have dressed and come into the studios they're getting remarks from everybody, from everywhere. The President of the United States is scheduled to speak. The Euro has collapsed. It's worthless. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. Question, what are you going to do? As you listen, you notice that there is real angst and anxiety in the voices of those talking heads on television. What will be the impact of the collapse of the euro on the dollar? Will our banks open? How will this collapse of a major economy, what impact will it have on America? The pundits are discussing that banks may not open, that the value of the dollar may go down, that inflation may go through the roof, that there may be upheaval, economic, political, social, all over the world. The more you listen, the more anxious you become, the more worried you become. All kinds of scenarios run through your mind. You really don't know what you are going to do. You continue to listen. The President of the United States comes on the phone. And he begins to try to reassure the American people that we will get through this crisis as we have done before. He says nothing of the fact that our country is multi-trillions of dollars in debt and that our paper money is just as vulnerable to collapse as any other currency in the world let me ask you a question could you 
go back to sleep? Could you simply roll over, go back to bed, turn over and go back to sleep and sleep as soundly as you were before you heard the news? Or would your mind begin to race from here and there and you start wondering about your savings and your retirement and how you'll eat, how much political upheaval this will cause in the nation and in your personal life. Could you be at peace? Could you rest in the quiet confidence of Christ? Or would you be thrown into panic? Would you be thrown into anxiety attacks? Would your mind race so that you couldn't concentrate or focus on any one thing? What would be your reaction? I dare say that the overwhelming majority of Christians would be in panic. They simply do not have faith to trust, to believe, to walk with Christ in his sufficiency. It's too late to try to trust in a crisis if you haven't developed the muscles of faith prior Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know that I am firmly convinced that we are in the potential grips of a major, major problem. This country has moved itself into position to receive the sternest rebuke of God of any nation in modern history. We have taken the good graces of the Almighty God and abandoned them, and we are rewriting the laws, and we are institutionalizing conduct and behavior that is appalling to God. He will not delay forever. He will come, and he will come in judgment my concern for you, however, is that you develop the faith necessary to stand the storms of time. I want you to understand that there is a faith, a faith for the final. Surviving the coming days will require a great faith a faith that many of us are not used to having, a faith that will require more of us than we've ever been asked for in the past, faith for the final, surviving the coming days. I do not know of all that will fill the future, but I am absolutely certain of some things, and you, my friend, must have faith 
to trust and obey God in the face of greatest of the greatest challenge you may have ever known. There is no way that the word of God can be true and we as a nation, as a church, and as individuals not receive God's attention given the conduct of this great nation. Therefore, it is imperative that we begin a journey together, a journey of discovery of how to fill your life with the faith that is necessary to stand in the face of storms in quiet, sweet, serene confidence in the power of your God and in the might of his great glory. One generation will be called upon to face an unparalleled period of persecution on the face of this earth. I do not know what generation that is or when, but I know it's coming. Whether we see the final phase or not, we need to have faith to live our lives every single day in the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. For Christ alone is sufficient and able to lead and guide us if we will but trust him. Therefore, I am beginning this series on faith. I'm asking you to begin a serious journey of learning how to truly walk by faith, not depending on your money or your health or your age or the community you live in or the government that you live under. I want you to learn to depend upon God and God alone so that if every pillar of society is taken away, you will be at calm, collected assurance and confidence because of the great God that you serve. Can you do that? Can you do it today? If not, there is time to prepare, but you must get serious, you must get sincere, you must focus, focus your attention, for it is coming, ladies and gentlemen. It is only a matter of time. There are two essentials that we are going to work on in the coming days. They are, first and foremost, a recognition of the uh, promise of God's word, for it will require our absolute confidence in God's word and the promises that are there. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What did he mean and why? 
there's a word that is used in this verse, and it is the Greek word day, often translated, it is necessary. This is a very interesting word because it is usually used to refer to some event or situation that God has ordained to happen. This is an event that God says will happen at a very specific place and time, and nothing can change it. This word was often used to describe events in the life of Christ, and here it is used as a signal to us that we need to remember that prayer is always an appropriate action on behalf of believers. Always pray. It's in the middle voice, which probably doesn't mean much, but what that means is that both God and man are involved in process. God says we ought always to pray. This is something that we must do. We must do it. Now, you might say, well, since God is sovereign and he knows everything, why then must I pray about that which God himself has already ordained? It will happen and there is nothing that I can do about it. You need to understand that Jesus is saying to us two things here. First, always pray. And second, never abandon hope. It is prayer that will prepare you to maintain a solid and consistent hope. Do not lose heart. Never abandon hope. Even in the face of calamity, in the face of chaos, tumult, confession, confusion, doubt, we are to maintain an active and aggressive hope because we know who wins. The Lord Jesus wins. But in the meantime, we must activate a faith that will maintain our stand in confidence and peace. He says, always pray and never lose heart. If the economies of the world collapsed tomorrow, would you lose heart? Would it be heavy? Would you be burdened? Would you be weak with worry and fear? My friend, you need to know that God fully intended for each one of us to live in perfect peace. And if we keep our minds stayed on the Lord, it is possible and it is attainable. But we must work to prepare ourselves so that we can indeed stand in time. Now, I want you to notice the story that the Lord Jesus is going to give. He illustrates what he means by always pray and not lose heart. Notice in Luke 
chapter 18, verse 2 and 3. He says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now this is an illustration of continual prayer. This woman would not stop. It says, kept coming over and over and over and over and over she came with the same mantra, give me justice against my adversaries. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now you might say, well, then he certainly is or was a good candidate to be a judge. He, he did not respect man. He held all men uh, the same. Uh, and he didn't fear God. And of course, that's a problem. But if you're looking at it from the human standpoint, this guy made the perfect judge. He would not allow anyone or anything to negatively influence his decisions, if in fact that's how he judged himself. But it becomes clear that this man is not compassionate. He's not gentle and kind. He is not engaging in the kinds of actions that would portray him as not only a great man, but a generous and merciful one. The Lord Jesus continues his statement here by saying, for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And so he relented, but only after the lady came over and over and over and over and over, constantly badgering him with her demand. Now, as a widow, the judge was charged with the responsibility to ensure that she got fair treatment, that she got justice. And notice he is not giving her something that she does not deserve or that the law does not give her rights. He was just unwilling to deal with her problem until she badgered him to the point that he felt it better to give her what she wanted than to continually be browbeaten by her every day till she got what she wanted. Now, on the basis of that, the Lord Jesus draws this conclusion in verse 6 and 7. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Now, notice the Lord Jesus' appraisal of this judge. He is unrighteous. There's no doubt that this judge needed some correction in his own life. But for the purpose of this story, the Lord says, and he will not give and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night 
will he delay long over them. Unlike the judge who delayed and delayed and delayed until he couldn't take it anymore. And then he decided to give this woman what she wanted. God, on the other hand, gives justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Now, this is very interesting to me because this does not uh, give us the uh, picture of, it doesn't give us a picture of how most people are today. The Lord Jesus says he cried day and night. This indicates that the sovereign God may in fact allow you to go into situations and circumstances which may seriously stress you. The idea that somehow the sovereignty of God will always protect you from the crises of life simply is not true. The Lord Jesus says we are to pray always and we are not to lose heart. Ultimately, we can claim the promise that God will not delay long. Now, unfortunately, as you know, none of us know how long God's long is. Any, every second is too long for us. But when it comes to God, it says he will not delay long. I don't know how long that is, but I can tell you, that is one second longer than most people want. But my friend, you need to understand what he is saying. Jesus is saying God the Father will come to the rescue of his people. Our problem is that we refuse to cry day and night. We'll cry, but not day and night. This is the kind of ongoing, long-term laying before God in sackcloth and ashes, if necessary, to pull us into the right attitude about the God that we serve and the promise in his word. An unrighteous judge responds after badgering. A righteous judge responds immediately out of compassion. And our God is a God of compassion. Not that he will not allow us to go into bad situations, but that he has given us everything we need to deal with a bad situation. And nothing is more important than the power of prayer. It's the difference between being forced versus having favor. We have favor with our God. Our God's able, and he will rescue his people, ladies and gentlemen, if we will but trust him. God is signaling to us that the weak link is not on God's part. Notice what he says. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Talking about the Lord. He's talking about God. God will give justice to his people speedily. 
Nevertheless, when the Son of Man come, will he find faith on earth? Now, this is interesting because the word faith here can mean uh, several things, several different things. It can refer to the faith, meaning the the gospel, the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and people believing in it. Will the gospel even be preached when he returns is one way you can take the word faith. Of course, we take it in a sense of individuals faithfully walking with God. Will the situation or circumstances get so bad that men and women will abandon faith in God in the context of the coming of the Son of Man? I believe that the circumstances on this earth in the context of the return of the Lord God will be such that many, many, Many people will, in fact, lose faith. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that. It's not, it's not hard to lose it when you have so little of it. The more you have, the harder it is to lose. And that's why I'm beginning this series. I want to challenge you. I want to call you. I really want to beg you to please come toward the light of God's word so that you can understand that faith, a great faith, is possible. And God himself is able superly abundantly to give to you that which you cannot give yourself. Now, it's important, as I said, for us to appreciate the context of what the Lord is saying. I believe that ultimately he's talking about his return in the context of the final week of Daniel's prophecy. In my book, I talk about whether or not survival will depend upon you fighting, taking flight, or living in faith. Of course, I believe that ultimately faith is the key. For the word of God tells us it is impossible to please God without faith. I do not believe that millions and millions of people will be able to find sufficient hiding places to be kept for two or three years. It simply won't happen. Maybe one person but even that, we found out that Osama bin Laden received a lot of help to hide for the time that he did. It's easy for one person to hide among a million, but it's very difficult for several hundred thousand to hide in one locale. Fight, my friend, I don't think is a likely object. And I don't think fighting is either. I think you could fight if the rules were fair, but the rules are not fair. It will be a time of lawlessness. 
What I want you to understand is whether or not our generation will face that awful period of the future. I don't know whether we will or not. It's beginning to look like we won't. But I do believe that we as Americans, we as morally upright, righteous people, I do believe that we are going to face an unparalleled time in America in the very near future. 